There's a yellow thing going on this morning. What's that about? Stand up all the yellow t-shirt people. Come on. Come on, Dan's wife. Mrs. Dan. David's not playing. Okay. Matthew, you're not playing either. You're not Matthew. Matthew's behind you. Are we okay? My name's Jason. Um, I lead the vineyard. And I want to continue a conversation with, that we've been having called Summer of Love. And last week we kicked off, or I kicked, kicked off, I've been off for a few weeks, and we had family speaking, and then we had one guest speaking, but I talked about how we would love God through our worship. And uh, I want to continue on that vein this morning and try and land somewhere, and then we're going to finish off with some worship at the end and praise again. So I hope that excites your heart. Um, so just a quick recap on Summer of Love series and worship. Uh, that we started last week, I said that worship was wow, it's an encounter with Jesus, that's what it simply is, it's wow, it's, it's, that, that should be our first, first thought, when we just um, get captured by Christ and his love, it's, it's so brilliant, we should be overwhelmed, it should be the wow factor in our lives, as cheesy as that sounds, C.S. Lewis said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy, because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment, it is the appointed consummation, it's the fulfillment. Is it not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are? The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. And so some of the times we just need to express the extravagance and the kindness of God the Father, whether that's through scenery, whether that's through dipping a hot chocolate hobnob into your tea, that that's a moment that you could say, wow, God is alive, God is good. Whether that's seeing the, the beauty of God, in people and kindness and, and what he's doing in us. And then we're just, wow. It's a simple response, but it's a good response. And then it leads us to something that we don't talk about much. It's called sorry. When we, we encounter Jesus, when we encounter the love of God, we're changed and we're broken and we need Father God. We, we come to this conclusion, and it's not a God that beats us up, but it's this love and kindness that leads us to repentance, as Paul talked about right into the Romans. It's this kindness that turns our hearts, turns the way that we think. When you come into face-to-face presence of Yahweh with God and his kindness, you do see things that are out of kilt in your life, don't they? Do you, do you notice that when you express your, your love for God and your devotion for God, when you actually pay attention to God? Then he aligns our hearts up and we think, ah, that's not right. And we're sorry. So, it's, so then it moves us to more than being sorry when we're truly sorry in a repentant way, when we change our way, and then it leads to being restored, being healed. So it's, wow, it's sorry, it's being healed. And what does he heal in our lives? Well, he heals many things in our lives, but I've discovered recently and more and more as I walk with Jesus that one of the major things that God heals in our lives is our loves. Our loves, our loves are out of kilt. When we, when we, when we don't put God first, when we don't worship, when we don't sacrifice praise, and, and when we don't come before him, then our loves get all disordered. As St. Augustine talked about, sin is love turned in on itself. It's not that it's merely bad things or really crazy things, but if it's love turned in on itself, then it's not good for our hearts. And when we get the perspective and see God, when we get our love for him first, then it, it helps order the other loves in our lives. It orders the other loves in our lives. You can enjoy life. What is the catechism? The pres- oh, we have a Presbyterian minister here this morning. Uh, God's man's is to... And yeah, so worship is enjoy. Amen, hallelujah. So we enjoy God, right? That's our chief end, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And so when we enjoy Him, then we actually get to enjoy other stuff with that. 
doesn't become a burden in our hearts and our lives. So worship rightly orders our loves, the affections of our hearts. And at the core, last week I talked about, we're not brains on sticks, people. We are lovers. Lovers of God and lovers of humanity. That's what God has called us to do. So I want to pick up and go a little further this morning with worship is yes. Yes, it's when we confess, when we get healed, when we say yes to the Father heart of God. When we, that yes is an authoritative um, yes. When we realize, God, you, you come to rule and reign here on earth. And you partner with us. Your kingdom has come. Your kingdom has come and it's not yet consummated. It will be one day when we see everything as it should be. But in the meantime, we are called to walk and partner with God. We are not called just to be. That's a false teaching. People say, you know, in the Christian world, it's so cheesy now. It's not about what you do. It's, it's just about being. Well, that's not necessarily true. It's a, leading the life out of being with God. Then there's an action that correlates with that. And that's extending the kingdom of God, expressing the kingdom of God here, near and far. That's what we're called to do. So that yes is declaring the God's heart. It's actually, we could use another word this morning because I don't want to go into last week's talk and just repeat that because you'll feel like you're being cheated. But here's another word. It's actually intercession. It's intercession. It's worship rightly positions us for prayer, for effective prayer. See, when you line your heart up with God, when you worship God, when you fall in love with Jesus, when he, when he catches your breath and your wow and you're sorry and you're healed and your yes is lining up with his heart and your loves are ordered and you've got priority again function in your life, which is Jesus. Jesus is Lord and his kingdom is coming and our kingdoms are going. When worship is that task, not that task, but when worship is from that position, then what happens is that we pray effectively. We pray with good hearts, with right motives. We don't pray, you know, people think, what if I'm praying wrong prayers? You can't really. It's a conversation with God. You can't really get it wrong. So much fear tangled around prayer and worship and all our disciplines in life. It actually stops us from doing anything. But you, if your heart is lined up with King Jesus, when you surrender to his kingdom and you humble your heart and you live a repentant life and a sorry life and a life where he's first, then you can't really go wrong. And then it, it positions us for effective prayer. What happens in worship is that we come face to face with Jesus. And then our hearts become in line with his heart. So it's face to face, then heart to heart. I remember years ago, it actually happened to me um, during crash this year again. Not that, it, not that I don't get lost in worship every time we, we meet, but there's moments in worship. Okay, this is just an experience, so you can't argue with it. It's just my experience. And a man with an experience is never at the mercy with anybody with an argument. So I'm just saying. So my experience is we had a, a small group, home group, whatever you want to call it. We were at Cosmic Coast Vineyard. We set up a group in Tobermore because we just with three kids under three. Life was hectic. I was working in Belfast. Michelle was working in the bank. Life was chaotic. We started a group in our home just really to connect in community and stay focused in community, not just be church on Sunday, but actually engage and be disciples and followers of Jesus in our everyday ordinary. So we set up a small group in Tobermore. But there were nights in that room Small, small room, packed with 20-year-olds, single 20-year-olds, um, where I thought, if I open my eyes, I, I was, it was nearly like a, like a holy fear with it, not like a, like a scary fear, but I thought, I could see Jesus. I might just see Jesus if I open my eyes. And again, same thing happened to me recently during crash this year. I thought, I just felt so close to Jesus that he was physically, his manifest presence was so heavy that I could see him in the room if I opened my eyes. 
And then when we do that, you see what happens is your kingdom come, your will be done moments. That's, that's intercession. That's worship. That's saying, God, would you make things right? That's, I hear clearly. I see clearly. I see differently. I see God's perspective. We see through the eyes of our hearts. Worship helps us to see through the eyes of our hearts. It positions us for effective prayer. Is that helpful? So worship, when it becomes that, it actually becomes a very powerful thing. It becomes more than 20 minutes of singing songs. It becomes more than feeling awkward about raising your hands. Should I? Would I? You know, we get caught up in the crazy, don't we? Rather than getting caught up in his love and his extravagant grace and his kindness. So what happens is that we move from just singing songs and we come into his presence. We start to declare, like we did this morning, his goodness, his kindness. This might sound weird for some of you, but what actually happens is then we're declaring things in the heavenlies, in the spiritual world, that it's actually having a powerful effect. You may think that sounds very charismatic, Jason. It sounds a little Pentecostal. What's your biblical thinking on that? Well, it's simple. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We, get, we wrestle against principalities and powers. So there's a spiritual world out there. We're not looking for a demon over, under every rock. If you can't find the kid's shoes on a Sunday morning, it might not be the devil. It might just be you've left him somewhere in a bad place. But let me say to you is that when we declare the goodness of God, it's something powerful in that. We're declaring something in the spiritual realm. We're actually bringing freedom and hope which we cannot see at times. We see through the eyes of our hearts. So it's, it's that moment, it's that pathway that worship becomes the weapon. Worship becomes the weapon. Stay with me. We're called to follow Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Is that right? Yeah? I take it that if you come here at all, that you know that we're followers of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We're disciples of Jesus. Apprentices of Jesus. Wanting to be like him, become like him, do what he does, and be around the things that he's around. So we do that. So if, you're, if you follow Jesus at all, if you've read about Jesus at all, you'll discover that Jesus never used violence to get his way. Would you agree? Jesus never used violence to get his way. You see, Jesus would rather forgive his enemies than, than kill his enemies, right up to literally his last breath when his lungs are suffocating. He pulls himself up on the cross just so that he can actually get lungs filled again with air so he can physically speak, so he can get words out audibly. And he says, forgive them. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what's happened. There's another realm. There's a spiritual realm happening. Jesus says, forgive them. So the part of worship, when we align our hearts with Jesus in worship, our fight again isn't against flesh and blood, but we speak to the powers and we declare that Jesus is Lord. That's a pretty powerful statement. It's a very political statement. And I've just been going on and on. I'm sure you're bored with it, but I want to say it one more time. To say that Jesus is Lord is to say other things are not. To say Jesus is Lord in that time was a political statement to say that this is a dangerous movement. We are dangerous people. To say that Jesus is Lord was to say Caesar is not. And in fact, when people were calling Jesus Lord in that day, do you know what the description of the Christian church was in that time? Atheists. Described as atheists because they didn't believe that Caesar was Lord. And so the principalities of that time, the political powers of that time, would align Christians to atheism. Caesar was the one true God. But they became the most powerful, unstoppable force in the face of the world. And you sit here on this August, dull but warm, Sunday morning on a black chair, because people declare Jesus as Lord. Powerful. Powerful. So we worship not against flesh and blood. We, we're, our warfare is in worship, but it's not against the physical. It's in the spiritual realm. 
And that's why we get on our knees when we come against things. We, 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 we can't say we're not political. I mean, I used to, for years, I used to say, well, the church should never be political. In fact, now I've changed my thinking. The church is political because Jesus Christ is Lord. And to be political means that you speak up for those who have no voice. You speak up for those who have been mistreated. That's what politics do. Politics look for those on the outside. Politics is great when it's working for everyone. When it's not working for everyone, then we have problems. We have problems. And the job of the church in the first century church didn't really care how democratic you were, but the first century church cared that when you got into power, were you demonstrating, uh, were you demonstrating, and were you active in what you said you were to carry out? Were you demonstrating on behalf of the poor and the marginalized and the broken? Were you a voice for the voiceless? So they became a political being, a political movement, and so therefore. Times like this, when we gather together in St. Anne's Cathedral on September 2nd for the unborn child, we're, we're being political. That's what politics is, to stand for the voiceless, to get up and to speak on behalf of those who have no voice. That's why we go to Cali, that's why we go to India, that's why we go to the poorest of the poor in our corners of our own streets and our own schools where we want to be the voice for the voiceless. We want to worship God in spirit and truth and we want to declare to the heavens that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what worship is all about. And so that gets really, really powerful. I, I, I mean, I can go on and on with the kingdom of God because it's the most powerful message on the face of the planet. It always has been. It's a very dangerous message to say, Jesus is Lord, to say your kingdom come. And so when we declare that he's the rightful king here on earth, then in Tyrone, some things need to give way. Some things need to sprout up. Some things need to take root. Some things need to happen. It's an active gospel. It's a gospel that's actually a moving gospel. It's a powerful gospel. To declare Jesus as Lord is more than sitting in a row of chairs. It's actually to go out and to make our place flourish again. To make the world flourish again. So that we rule and reign with King Jesus. So that the whole world would flourish. And come into the right relationship with Father God. That's where we're headed. So Exodus 8. The story of God looks like it's hanging by a thread. It looks like this is the way the story could end. Will it continue? God's chosen people are in slavery. It doesn't look good. We've got a, a leader who's a reluctant leader at this point. His name is Moses. He cries out on behalf of the marginalized and the broken and the enslaved. There's a political statement again that runs through all of Scripture. Moses goes and, and, and starts to be an advocate for the slaves. Then he goes to Pharaoh and he asks, God asked him to, he says, go and speak to Pharaoh. So, and this is what says, 8-1, are you with me? Have you got scripture? We've got an awful problem in this church. Do you know what's happening? We used to have loads of Bibles, and now they've all gone missing. On your phone, that's good. But I love that. So we have remedied the problem and went and bought more Bibles this week. So we have more Bibles next week. Okay, so please take them. Give them away. Do whatever you need with them. But please open them at some stage during your week. Maybe it's 10 minutes or 15 minutes of your week. But please keep stealing the Bibles. I love it. I love it. Exodus 8.1. The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. Now, again, last week I talked about opening the conversation and told the story of my friend, Alan Emerson, about his daughter asking him as she was in the car one day and she was talking about worship and she said to her dad I've got a really really awkward question to ask you dad she's seven years of age and she says to her dad you know this whole worship thing daddy is um is God a wee bit greedy is, is that what it's about and 
And I mean, as adults, we would never ask that question, would we? Because we're so holy and contrite. I mean, and so that was her question. So again, this question, this, this go and take the people out so that they worship me, is God wanting his ego stroke? Is he wanting to be greedy? Is he looking for people? To, is he insecure? Is he, is he trying just to, yeah, flex a bit of muscle, you know, come worship me? Well, I don't think so. Let them go so they can worship. You know what's happening here? Let me, let me explain to you what's happening here. This is a God who's saying, in worship to catch a glance of me. In worship, they're reminded of who they are. They're slaves. But they need to go and worship God because they need to get their identity back again. They need to realize who they were, what they were born for, who they were created to be. They're the children of God. They're the people of freedom. And worship is always connected with freedom. If you want to be a free people, if you want to learn how to live free, well, learn how to worship. Learn how to worship. It wasn't to, for God that had a, a big ego. It was a God who wanted the people to be free, to know how to live in freedom, to know their identity and what they were called to. And they get a glimpse of this because when we're made in the image of God, we're called to rule and partner with God. And then we fill the earth with what? His glory. That's our job. We're making all things new. Worship is more than singing four or five songs on a Sunday morning. Worship can shape the future and the destiny of a nation and a culture. It can cause slaves to be free, regardless of their situation. Do things change in that moment? No. It's still a journey. still a journey of trust and walk and, and thankfulness and repentance and healing and wow and, and all those moments in the journey, but they learn to be free in every circumstance because they were worshippers of God. And worship is a powerful thing. It's a weapon. So I want to give you a practical part this morning because I think it's really important. Again, I said that last week that sometimes I assume I came from a non-traditional background. I came from a Pentecostal background. Some of it brilliant, some of it not so good. I take the best bits of my room with them. Um, but I always assumed that when people come to church, they know how to worship. And I've realized we've all come from different parts and different uh, families of God and, and denominations and labels and all that stuff and some of us have come with no background at all which is probably more healthy and uh, so we come into this place and all of a sudden you're watching people and they're putting their hands up and some people are shouting out and uh, I thought it was beautiful this morning what Stephen did because I want to talk about that just in a few seconds or minutes is that we in worship we need to take a step beyond convenience worship is taking a step beyond convenience yeah, they, they, I know you come here and you're like, you just, from the get, you just come up that hill worshiping, right? From the start. Your kids have been just model kids. They've slept well, they've behaved well, they've got up, they've made you breakfast. And, you, know, you just, you know, it's just been a great day. You've had L'Oreal in the shower because you're worth it. And, and you've been just having a beautiful morning. You walk into this place and the first thing, once the guitar hits that first chord, usually in vineyard, the four chords of G, C, D, and E. Brilliant, right? And so you can do that. You can hit a key in the piano and you're like on your tiptoes looking intense and hands in the air. Is that, is that your experience? Or, or do you ever come just nuts and just angry and irritated? And you think, oh, no, I'm not worshipping today. And you want to lift your hands, but then you have a fight with yourself, so you put your hands in your pocket. No. No, I'm not doing it. So we're on a journey and, and, and sacrifice of praise. And this is the practical component this morning. I want to talk about something that we used to sing about all the time in the Pentecostal movement. We used to have a two-step dance that even went with it. And a tambourine, if you were really 
going for it. And we would sing songs like we bring the sacrifice of praise. And, and all those beautiful songs. And I want to talk about today is Toda Day. Toda, it's a Hebrew word which simply means sacrifice of thanksgiving. Step beyond convenience. It means to be thankful for what has yet to be done, even though it doesn't look like it's done. It's saying, I want to worship, I'm going to sacrifice praise. It's faith applied and confidence uh, to be contended for. And despite of the circumstances, we don't deny the pain. Of course, we don't deny the pain, but yet we trust in the goodness of God in every, in every circumstance. We trust in the goodness of God. Is that lying to yourself? No, it's not. God is good all the time. I love going to India. You just say God is good and shout back all the time. So I do it for like 20 minutes. Because I just, I know it's hard to compete with the feedback here on Sunday mornings. There's a very vocal here on a Sunday morning. But I just love going to the end there. Because they're sort of just a wee bit ahead of you guys when it comes to feedback. But that's okay. We're all good. Different cultures. So what it means is that faith is applied even in the, in the hard times. It's like, you know what God, this is my situation now. But have I got scripture for, for that too? Yeah, I do. I think it's Romans 8, 28. For God works all things, all things, all things are good things, all things are bad things, all things are health and all things are sickness, all things are the prospering times, all things are the time when we seem like we're just going through lean, lean times, all things are all things, yet God works them for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose because there's always a, a pain that, that could be used like we talked about a few weeks back, or a couple of weeks back with Benjamin, our Danish friend. There's, there's all things work together for the good. So that's, that's a holding on until, despite the circumstances, I'm going to praise, I'm going to lift up a voice to God, I'm going to talk to my soul, and we're going to be extravagant in our worship and exuberant in our praise because God is good. And this is a weapon that we're declaring the goodness of God. And so some things are shifting and some things are changing. So again, the theme is worship is a weapon. It causes us to lift our eyes of our circumstances and look into the Father's eyes. So Toda believes God for the impossible. Toda's saying, you know what, I'm, I'm broken, uh, things are not going well, but I'm going to praise you, God. I'm going to lift up my voice. I might not feel like it. Things may be nuts at the minute. Things may be chaotic at the minute. Things may be painful. And, and yet I choose to praise. I choose to worship. I choose to take a step beyond convenience and step into the very presence of Yahweh God. To go face to face with him. To become heart to heart with him. And to shoulder to shoulder with God. And to walk this land and carry out his business. Even though it doesn't look great. Even though it doesn't look good. Thanksgiving's easy when the sun's shining, isn't it? It's good when things, things are going great and you're off on your holidays and the sun's shining, you're taking a walk. It's like, I mean, I, my devotional life's so easy on holidays. Sun's shining, you're reading a book. And you can just see God in everything, can't you? Nothing would annoy you. You know, you see God in things you never saw him before. It's God. Turn around a corner. There's a loop a loop ice pop packet. Gently going up the street. So the Lord, isn't it? That he would be so kind to do that. Just to breathe the wee loop a loop wrapper of the ice pop. Is this connecting? No? You couldn't, you couldn't annoy me. Michelle couldn't annoy me. <laughs> But let's face it, it's hard in the hard times. It's hard. Worship is hard in the hard times. And life is painful and what is just not fair. 
And life can be brutal. Can't it? Life can be brutal. And yet, where do you go? Finyard, where do you go in the hard times? Where do you go in the times of pain? Do you wrap up in the duvet? Are you doing bedside Baptist for a week? Or are you gathering with your brothers and sisters? And you don't feel like it. And life's not fair. And the stuff's hitting the fan. Nothing makes sense. Do you still praise him? So worship. Do you still contend? Or is he just a sunny holiday God? Is he God in the good times? Is he God in the pain? Is he God in the laughter and God in the tears? Is he God? Because he's good all the time. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says, Give thanks to the Lord in all circumstances, for this is God's will. It's not the vineyard's idea, it's not the Presbyterian's idea, it's not the Catholic Church idea, it's not the Free Methodist, the Independent Methodist, Church of Ireland, it's none. It's God's idea, it's God's idea that in all circumstances, this is the will of God and it's in Christ Jesus. In everything, good day, bad day. Let me give some text. I love putting life around Scripture. Because sometimes you think people say stuff. Well, what authority do they have to say it on? What life have they lived in? Here's a guy called Paul. Who's a, he's definitely at the mercy of no argument. Because he is a man with an experience. Acts 16. Very well known story. He gives such credibility to this text. It's Paul and Silas there just annoying people. They're telling people about Jesus. They just can't contain it. They're publicly out there proclaiming, professing that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's been risen from the dead and he's making all things new. And because of the political system, because of the affluence and the commercialism, this isn't really working. This really isn't fitting with society's commercial and, and religious structures. There's an upset here by these guys called Paul and Silas. And what happens in this moment in chapter 16 of Acts, read it for yourself this afternoon, um, what happens is there's a girl who's been trafficked into labor. And the, I mean, she is really, really vulnerable girl. She's a vulnerable girl because she's trafficked because she's actually got a, an illness, and it's a demonic illness, that's what Scripture tells us. She's, she's influenced by a demon. So she's going around making money for these traffickers who have put her in this situation. They're, they're, they're her handlers. And what she's doing, she's going around and, and telling people's fortunes. She's reading people's future. The problem with this is it's not prophecy. This is from another source. Okay? So you do, you, you do know there's two parts out there, right? And there's a lot of crazy out there. Right? You see all that stuff, the cures and, and nonsense stuff about going up, and I keep talking about it, but, but I, I know Christians that will not come to the front and get prayer, but they'll go around to some wee country road, go up a hill, in the back end of nowhere, meet a wee man, bury a potato in the back garden, spin around three times, and they get a cure. That's weird. That's not the Holy Spirit. It's not Father God. It's not Jesus. So this is what's happening here. This is modern day. She's a fortune teller without the caravan. But she does have handlers. She's not making the money herself. She's giving all the money back to these guys. 
So she's walking around and she's saying, hey, these guys, Paul, and she's just become pain. She's walking around, they're going around telling people about Jesus. They're declaring the goodness of God, the gospel of God, the good news, which is a radical transformation message. They're going around telling this story. And what's happening is she's going around saying, she's just a pain. She's not actually evangelizing. If you read it, some people think, oh, she's, she's declaring God. She's not declaring God. She said, these guys are telling everybody about God. It's not good. These guys are trying to get you saved. These people are trying to convert people to Jesus the way these people are a menace. And so she's going on and on. This is happening day after day after day. And Paul just has enough. Not with her, you see. But with the tormentor. Because it's not against flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers, right? This is Bible, by the way. This is not me making stuff up this morning. Acts 16. You can read it for yourself. So what happens is Paul deals with the situation. He says, I know a stronger one called Jesus. And he said, you're tremendous, this girl. This girl has been abused emotionally, physically, in every sense of the word, enough. And so he casts the demon out of the girl. He frees her life up because that was Christianity does. Christianity frees people up. Frees people up. So she comes. She becomes free. And then what happens is that her handlers are not liking the situation. What's happened with them? Why are they not happy? Talk to me. No money. Money talks. No income, no money. So they, they go and they, they say, hey, this is not good. These guys are upset in this town. They're distractors. They're, we need to get shot of them. So they drag them. Paul and Sinus take them before the magistrates. He lay lodged a complaint against them. Long story short, uh, Paul and Sinus are severely beaten. They're handed over to the jailers in custody and they're put into the in most part of the prison, not just a, a, the TV area or the games room, right? They're actually in a real dark, dark part of the prison. And so much so that they put their, their legs, I think, in shackles. I don't know about their arms, but I think scripture tells us that they put their legs in stocks. And that they put them in the innermost part of this, of this uh, prison. And let's read it. Acts 16, 25, 26. I love the time of night this is. I, love, I just love how this opens up. About midnight. Darkest hour. Paul and Silas. Let's, get, let's emotionally engage here, guys. Let's not read scripture if it's, if it's some sort of cold text that we're reading for intellectual engagement. We're not doing that. We're actually reading to connect with a person called Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We read scripture because it's relational. We read scripture not to study, but to have form relationship with Jesus. It's the only book that when we open it, the author is always present. It's brilliant. Spirit breathed. And so, think about it. You've been beaten, you've been flogged, you know, you've been... You're, you're bound to think, is it worth it? I've set that girl free and here's my... Here's where, here's where it ends up. You end up in prison. In the worst part of the prison. And you're tied, you're physically tied to the ground. You can't move, you can't do anything. But what can you do in this moment? Well, these guys are fanatical. There's one thing they can do. says, praying, opening up their voice, singing hymns to God. And it wasn't quiet. Because scripture tells me that the other prisoners were listening to them. Those around in the other cells are listening and they're catching something. And something's shifting and something's changing. And worship is becoming Weapon and weapon is bringing freedom, and these men are in the in the cages and in the darkest time of their life, and they're starting to hear these men sing. 
Suddenly, there's a, such a violent earthquake. Coincidence? No. That the foundation of the prison was shaken at once. All the prison doors are open. And everyone's chains came loose. So I've read that a hundred times. And it was last night that I discovered that through worship, we don't only get freedom, but it brings freedom to others. It says here in the ancient text that everyone's chains became loose. Isn't it powerful? Isn't it powerful what happens? They chose in the pain and the humiliation to Toda. Toda, the Hebrew word to give sacrificial praise, to give thanks. Breakthrough at midnight. What's the darkest hour for you right now? What's been your darkest moment? And we all have it. The pain, the dark, loss of a loved one, illness, disappointment, unfair. What's your darkest hour? What's your 12 o'clock midnight hour? And where do you go? And what do you do? Do you praise? Do you sacrifice? Do you bring to God all that you can bring and muster up? Because it's in that midnight, in that midnight you release peace within, within your heart, within your mind, within your emotions through singing hymns and songs. And not only that, remember the freedom within you will become the freedom around you. Let me say that one more time. The freedom within you becomes the freedom around you. When we start to worship God with a sacrifice of praise. The freedom within you starts to become the freedom around you. Your perspective changes other people's perspective. When your heart's aligned to the Father, you start to get political. You start to have a voice for the voiceless. You start to speak on behalf of the marginalized, whatever that is. You start to pick up and get up and make things happen. You start to become the kingdom taker and the kingdom carrier in every sphere of society, in every sphere of life. When your perspective has changed, when you're seated in heavenly places with God, that's not just a position of power and, and presidents. That's actually a position of authority and activity. When you're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, you're actually seated in a place of authority so that you can make a difference in society. Not just sit in a place of comfort. Suddenly there came an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. I just, I'm just enamored. Just all chuffed with myself that I've discovered this. I wish I had discovered this a long time ago. See, I just always concluded that, you know, when I'm going through a hard time, when I'm going through the tough stuff, when I'm in there in that moment, if I praise Jesus and I press into God, that God's going to free me. But I never once concluded that when he freed me, he would free the other people too. And I've got it. And I love it. Okay, let's finish up. Let's jump back to your reading for this morning. If you had your daily... Bread, is that what they called your devotional book with Jesus? You've all probably been, well, even if you have, and I know that you've all been stuck in Leviticus this last two months, haven't you? Leviticus 22, 29 says this. When you sacrifice a thank offering to the, to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. 
Do you ever question scripture? You, you read with a question? Sometimes it's good to do that. So I'm, I'm reading this this week and I'm thinking, how do you sacrifice the right way? Is there a right way to do it? It says that um, in such a way that will be accepted on your behalf. So you've got to sacrifice in such a way that it's going to be accepted. So what if I get it wrong? What is this such a way? Well, here's, it's very simple. If you read throughout Scripture at all, you soon come upon it. How you sacrifice in the right way? It's the posture of the heart. It's always the posture of the heart. In fact, Scripture also tells me that he desires mercy over sacrifice. It's the posture of the heart. You get it? Mercy. Mercy. It's the posture of the heart. Even better than sacrifice is mercy. How you posture your heart to humanity and to others, to the world around you. Making the choice in the good, the bad, and the ugly. God, I'm still lifting my hands. Still lifting my hands. It's very distracting, isn't it? It's okay, it's my son, so I get away with it just in case you're thinking that was awkward. Um, I, um, not to pull on your emotions or try to manipulate in any way this morning, but it's just an experience again. One of the painful things in my life was watching uh, my father pass away. But one of the things I learned, he had a lung condition called uh, pulmonary fibrosis. So getting a gasp of breath was just, oh, it was just, it was just hard work. And it was hard work watching him. But in the times where he could get his breath, he managed to praise God and Jesus. And he would always say to me, God is good. And I'm looking at this fragile skeleton of a man, gasping for breath, could hardly make him out, and he's saying, God is good. And it changed the perspective. He f- was free in here, not in his physical frame, but I can tell you he was free in his mind and his heart. He died well. He died well. And we don't talk about that a lot. We talk about living life to the full. and I need to teach people to die well too. Don't we? I don't know. I'm not a great mathematician, but I think the stats are still 100% of people are still going to die. I think that's the stats. So he, and, and he, would, he would always say that one touch from the king changes everything. That's to die. That you know what? I can't see it. But one touch from him changes everything. Everything, everything. The sacrifice of praise is passion for God. Here's the other thing I am going to finish. We are, how do you measure this thing? I was thinking about us as a church, Vineyard Church, Dungannon. And and I was thinking about our characteristic and stuff. And and I know I'd muck about with you and tease you about not being very vocal on a Sunday morning and charismatic with a small C and all that stuff. But... It's who you are and it's who we are, and I love it. We're family. And so. But what I discovered about the heart of this church is that we might be exuberant and, and vocal, but of what you love well and pray well. And the sacrifice of worship, the sacrifice of worship and the passion for God and worship can be measured in our passion for people and how we love others in the hard times. How you pray for one another, how you... Focally, you see, praise and worship and prayers, to me, is just it's one thing, actually, for me. And we just use labels and we get so spiritual and we, try, we push people 
away rather than gather people in to the presence and relationship of Jesus. Sometimes just with their language. Do you know that you can all prophesy? Because you can all pray? Yeah? And I've watched you do that. And so I'm, I'm watching our passion levels. And I want my job, Michelle's job, is to, to, to oversee and to, to make sure that this place is healthy in all ways. And one of the health things that I see in this place is that your passion can be measured in how you pray, even when you're going through difficult times yourselves. Have anybody, is there, I could be wrong, has anybody in this room ever felt the mercy of another in their kindness through the power of prayer? Maybe I've got it wrong, so there's five people. Could I ask you one more time? Has anybody ever been a beneficiary of someone praying with them in this place? Oh, I just said it wrong. <laughs> Sorry. Let me finish with a text of scripture. And then we're going to praise and worship. Is this helpful? Psalm 116. Let's do something really traditional. Uh, in ancient times, when the ancient scriptures were read, people loved the ancient scriptures, and so they would stand on their feet to hear, tiptoed to hear the words of Yahweh God. It says, I love the Lord. For he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live, regardless of the situation. The courts of death entangled me. This is raw, honest prayer. The courts of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unweary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul. He's talking to his innermost being. You know on that Sunday morning when you don't want to pray and your hands are in your pocket and you don't want to lift them and you think in your head that Sky BBC are all here waiting for you to lift your hands and they're going to put it out their life. You know that moment? They do come here, you know, we are watching. You know that people are going to be talking about it for the next week or two? Did you see him? He put his hands up in church on Sunday morning. Do you know that's going to make major headlines all over Tyrone? No. He's speaking to his soul and he says, My soul, return to your rest, my soul. Get your confidence in God. Align your heart with him. Come face to face and heart to heart. For the Lord has been good to you. He's talking to himself. The Lord's been good to you, David. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Not when I'm dead, while I'm alive. I trusted in the Lord when I said I was greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone's a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for the goodness to me? Then this is what he says. I will lift up the cup of salvation. Call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Corporate. Precious is the sight. In the sight of the Lord is the death of his fellow servants. Trust. 
Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. Sweet. In a patriarchal society, that's sweet. Just as my mom did. You freed me from my chains. I don't know if he's there yet. I don't know if it's his experience yet. This is what he says. I will toda. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my fills to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And it's an exclamation there. It's a, it's a resounding praise the Lord and the pain and everything. Do you know what? I've talked a lot this morning. But there's a moment, there's times when our faith is private, right? Or, no, it's never private. Let me, let me just make that clear. Our faith is never private. Our faith is always personal. But it's not private. I'm sorry if anybody sold you that one. But here's the thing. Can you worship Jesus in privacy? Yes. If you find it hard to lift your hands, yada, which is the root word from where we get this Torah word from. Scripture's full of it. Hebrew language is full of yada, 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 yada. So if you find it hard, and of course in your secret place, in that prayer room, raise your hands. Shout to the Lord. Exclaim. Proclaim the goodness of God. Speak to the powers that are. Let's become the weapon of mass destruction in a good way, right? That's what our worship does. So when we do that, you can do that. But I think there's something that Scripture teaches me here. David's saying, you know what? Those, those people that are looking around me, they know what I've been through. They know what I'm going through. But in this public place, in this temple, in this place in Jerusalem, in this holy sanctified place, in this place that has uh, a elite, even a holding in society, in this place when my peers are around me, when those who are looking on at me thinking, ha, 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 let's see what he does now. In that moment, David's saying, in the midst of this, I will praise the Lord. In the public place, and when, with, with regards of what's happening to me, I will make a testimony. I will give a story that God is still good, that he's still to be worshipped, that he's still to be praised, that there is a sacrifice in my heart. And I might not see it yet, but I will contend for it. I will hold out, and with all faith and in all endurance, and in all things, I will give praise to God, for he is good all the time. Holy Spirit, would you come and make your word alive in our hearts today? Come and awaken it. Come and breathe on it. Your ruach, your wound, your breath of heaven. Breathe on these ancient scriptures. These old stories. And make them alive in our hearts today. That we would love you with all of our being. That our loves would be right this morning. And all the other stuff would have its place in our lives. But we would just get our love with you first and foremost. We love you Jesus. And we proclaim, even in the hard stuff, even in the painful stuff, even in the darkest night, that we will yada, that we will toda, that we will lift up our voice in the midst of our circumstances and the pain. And we do declare in the heavenlies, so and we will declare publicly the goodness of God in the land of the living. Bless you, in Jesus' name.